You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 1 Samuel chapter 10, if you'll find your way there. We are continuing this morning with our narrative, 1 Samuel, talking about Samuel and Saul. The people now are called together. I am losing my voice. Isn't that terrible? My, my voice is, I have a face for radio. Um, my, my voice is usually much better. So bear with me. I don't know why that is, but I'm losing it this morning. So I know some of you are praying that I lose it in the next few moments, but I will continue on. I will mouth it if I have to. The people have been called together at this point. It's a very historical event. The nation of Israel is going to go from a theocracy to a monarchy. Um, Saul will be crowned. It is an inaugural occasion. And we know this. We're aware because we know the story. The children of Israel aren't quite aware of what's happening yet. And so Samuel calls the people together. And and we might envision this to be some great uh, event where it's, you know, this this uh, black tie occasion, maybe this gala with cocktails. It's This is, we're going to inaugurate the king. But look, if you would, at verse number 18, as Samuel draws the nation together on, on what we would view as a joyous occasion, and he's going to give them a speech. Verse number 18. And said, this is Samuel, unto the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of the kingdoms and of them that oppressed you. And so the first idea here is that Samuel tells the children of Israel the people, he reminds them what God has done. He says, listen, I want you to know something as we've gathered together. Here's what God has done. God delivered you from Egypt. And that's their history. That's their identity. They know that. But he goes on to say this. Not only did he deliver you from Egypt, but this very God is the God who has continually delivered you from every enemy that oppressed you. And I want you to know that. I want you to be aware of that. And, and what he's saying is there, this God can't be trusted. They wanted a king who would deliver them from all their enemies. And what Samuel is saying is this. The God that you have has done that. He has continued to do that. And you can trust him in the future to do the same. So he reminds the people of what God has done. But now watch what he does next. Verse number 19. And ye have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adversities and your tribulations, and ye have said unto him, Nay, no, but set a king over us. So he first reminds them what God has done, and now he reminds them what they have done. And here's what they've done. 
They have rejected him. They have said, we don't want you to rule over us. And when they were confronted about that, they did not repent. They just said, no, we will not listen. We want a king. And here's what Samuel says next. He says, now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And if we were standing back and and knowing that this is going to be the crowning of the king, this would be a very strange speech. We might even think that it was somewhat improper for Samuel to to end this on a down note. It's like, like, come on, Samuel, can't you just let this slide? I mean, why are you going to be the guy like, wah, 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 right? God did this. You did this. You rejected him. And even though this was a celebratory situation, it was still not good. The people had rejected God, and Samuel was not willing to stand by and to say a nice prayer and smile and bless everyone. He was still going to tell them the truth. The truth. I want you to know this morning, there's a lesson here for us. We live in a world today that preaches and teaches tolerance. We talk about just don't rock the boat. We say there are no absolute truths and and so you believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe and we can all join hands, hug trees and poorly sing Kumbaya. That's That's our mentality today. The problem is this. God says truth is far more important than propriety. And there are times that it might seem proper to be nice. But Samuel says, you need to know the truth. The truth. This morning I'm not talking about being abrasive for the sake of being abrasive. Plenty of us, we have that down already. But may I remind you that truth without love is brutality. And we've been there. We've done that. We've had it done to us. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. But I also want you to know this, that it is not loving in any stretch of the imagination, nor is it proper to tell people what they want to hear if they are on the road to destruction and devastation. We must be a people who tell the truth. Certainly truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy and destructive. And in the church of Jesus Christ today, we need men and women who will tell the truth. Just tell the truth, man. We must tell the truth this morning about the gospel. Thoroughly enjoyed the presentation this morning from Cross Current about their presentation of the gospel. And again, you, you, you might think, well, you've got to be careful what we say to people, but listen, The gospel is not the gospel unless people understand they're lost first. The gospel begins with very bad news. The bad news is this. We are more of a sinner than we like to hear. We have transgressed a holy, righteous God. And at the cross, God revealed the full extent of our sin. At Calvary... We, we talk about our sin, and here's what we do. We make excuses on, well, my sin is not as bad as their sin. And we compare ourselves by each other, or the worst guy or girl that we know. The problem with that is that's not God's standard. God has a perfect standard. 
in the person of Jesus Christ and through his law. And the fact is, we have all transgressed God's law, and it is a big deal. So much so, that the way that God dealt with your sin and my sin, if you want to see the full extent of it, look to Calvary. Look to what Jesus Christ suffered on the cross. Don't you think if there could have been any other way, certainly God would have not exposed his perfect righteous son to the violent, excruciating, painful death of Calvary. We must tell the truth. Listen, it's not that all dogs go to heaven. That's not the truth. Only those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior go to heaven. Because we're all sinners, we're condemned. The wrath of God is already on those who do not know Christ. We are condemned already. It's only through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice that we can ever realize and understand how truly we are loved. That God has sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. The cross reveals the full extent of our sin, and at the same time, that same moment, it reveals the full extent of God's grace, that in that moment, Christ died for our sins. That's the Gospel. We've got to tell the truth about that. I wish sometimes that universalism was true. It doesn't matter what you do. As long as you do your best, everyone's going to end up there. But you can't buy it. If you listen to the words of Christ, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. We must tell the truth about the gospel. We must tell the truth this morning for the growth of our children. I'm speaking now to parents, I'm speaking to grandparents, I'm speaking to youth workers, folks in ministry. We must tell the truth to our children for their growth. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm slightly concerned about youth culture today. Seen Miley? I don't know, I'm not a twerker, I don't do those things, and I will not try this morning. Right, some of you are thinking, Pastor, I have no idea what you're talking about. God bless you. You're in, you're, in a, you're in a good place if you have no idea what I'm talking about. But isn't it sad that that young woman has no one to tell her the truth? To tell her that her worth and value is not in being an object? To tell her that she doesn't have to be sexualized? Where's her mom? Where's her dad? Where's someone who loves her enough to tell her the truth? That our identity is not in those things. And we as Christian parents, listen to me. Are we telling our kids the truth? We worry about, well, they, they, may not, they, they may worry or be anxious about never measuring up to being perfect. Can I tell you something? Quit worrying about it. Christ already did that for us. He measured up for all of us. We're not going to be perfect. But our kids have worth and value not because of what they do or how they get attention or by you telling them they're the greatest thing that ever lived. Talk to some of many parents, that, and I've been there, I've been a youth pastor for 10 years, and I can't tell how many parents said, man, my, my little boy Johnny, he is a genius. Right, two years old, he's a genius. Well, Johnny's all grown up now, and he ain't no genius. And little Susie, she doesn't do anything wrong. Isn't everything she, everything she does is so cute and perfect and wonderful. Listen to me, do your kids a favor, start telling them the truth. Their worth and value comes in that they're a creation of God and they can find their identity in Jesus Christ. He gives worth, he gives value. You don't have to follow this wicked culture. Tell the truth. 
We must tell the truth about for the good of the church. Listen to me. We must have an open and honest community here where we tell believers the truth. I'm talking to God's people this morning that, that you are trying to get from creation people, experiences, things. You're trying to get from creation a, a sense of identity and value and hope and worth. You're trying to get from people, uh, someone to heal your broken heart or make you feel like a good person. Listen, quit trying to get from creation what you can only get from the Creator. And love people enough to tell them the truth. Brother, sister, this is wrong, this is not good. This morning, our God loves us too much to be nice at times. He loves us too much to leave us the way that he found us. And this God of ours will relentlessly pursue us. And for the children of Israel, Samuel says, listen, I want to tell you something. What you're doing is not good, and you need to hear the truth. Back to the text. That was all extra. It has nothing to do with the message. I feel, I feel better now. Chapter 10. Verse, the end of verse 19. He says, Now therefore, present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. <clears throat> so he says, I want you to see God's goodness. I want you to see God's guilt. And then he says, Now therefore, present yourself. Let me ask you a question. Let's just pretend this morning that we are the children of Israel. And we have just heard this speech from Samuel. This is how good God is. You're guilty. And now he says, therefore, present yourself. Are you feeling good about that or maybe a little uneasy? How many people feel, I think this is great. How many people say, I'm a little uneasy about that. How many people are still sleeping? Can you raise your hand? All right. I'm thinking, this isn't going well. And to prove that, look what he says next. And, and listen to me. This is why we encourage you to read the whole Bible. You need it all. Okay. Because as I read this, I want you to think, if you can think back of another event in Old Testament history that sounds familiar to this. He says, gather everybody together. Verse number 21, or 20. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. Now think with me. Is there another event that sort of pops into your mind right now when I tell you the tribes were taken, lots were cast, we narrow it down to one guy? Who do you think of? Achan, right? So I'm telling you something. If before you felt really good about where this is going, by this point as an Israelite, you're feeling really nervous. Remember what happened to Achan? They narrowed him down, and this is a guy that caused great harm. To Israel and his family dies. This is where we're at. Look at verse number 22. <clears throat> they cast these lots. They're looking for a king. They come to Saul. They can't find him. Verse 22. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further if the man should come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. Now get the picture. Now they understand, hey, maybe this is a king we're talking about. And so they narrow it down, and Saul's family is chosen, the lot is cast. Where is Saul? 
and they have no idea. This is their next king. And so they say, God, we can't find him. Can you help us? Where is this guy? And God says, he's hiding in the baggage. Now, if you're looking for your next leader, would this instill, instill in you great inspiration to know, yeah, the guy that's going to lead you is in his office, under his desk, in the fetal position, whining and crying like a baby. That's what Saul is doing here. I don't know if that inspires anyone other than to sympathy and pity, but this is Saul. And so he's hiding there, camped out. And some people say, well, isn't Saul so humble to do this? No, he's not humble. He's actually being disobedient. And we'll see this next week. It's not humility. And so God says, go find him. He's hiding in the luggage. Go find Saul. Verse 23, and they ran and fetched him thence, and when he stood among the people, he was higher than all of the people from his shoulders and upward. And Samuel said to all the people, see ye him. Thank you, little friend. Is it that irritating that my own son has to say, drink this, dad, your voice is driving me crazy? I'm sorry, it's driving me crazy too. He's head and shoulders, and they say, God save the king. And, and, and it goes on. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. Dan, would you read the end of the chapter, 26 through 27, nice and loud? <clears throat> Thank you. That's the end of the story. And uh, let me just go back now to the point I want to make this morning. And I, I really do apologize. I don't know what the deal is. It's terrible. Sorry. I'll give you all your money back when you're done. <laughs> all of it. All of it. It's interesting in this portion of Scripture, it, it's packed. Really, it's packed with truth. And I've been here for a long time. I can't get out of it. There, there's something every week that just hits me. And what's impressed me this week as I looked at this text is that all through chapter 9 and 10, we're told that that Saul can't find the donkeys. It, they're lost. And it goes over again. They're lost, they're lost, they're lost. He can't find them. Then we come to chapter 10, and we find that Israel can't even find her king. And the whole idea, is, as the writer writes, is look at Saul can't find the donkeys. Israel can't find her king. They really do need the Lord for everything. For everything. And as I thought about that and, and, and meditated on that and studied that, right away the verse that came to my mind was John 15. We read it earlier this morning. Where Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me. And what he's saying to us is what the Lord says throughout the entire Bible, my people really do need me. So take your Bibles and go back to John chapter 15 this morning and let's just Work our way through this. John 15. <clears throat> I'm the vine. My father's the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may, be, may bring forth more fruit. Now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. The word abide there. Right? Minnow means to abide, to remain to stay. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen to me, I'm the vine, 
I'm the source. I'm the strength. You're the branch. You must stay, remain, abide in me. It means we must set aside everything from which we might derive our own strength and merit and draw all from Christ. That's the idea. What you truly need is in me. And then he says this in, in verse number 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, let's talk about that. You know that verse. You've heard that verse. But have you ever thought this? Wait a minute. There are things that I know that I do, and I'm not abiding in Christ. There are times we go to work, at the shop, at the factory, in the office, and the truth is we know that we're not abiding in Christ, and yet we went to work. There are times when we raise our families and deal with our kids or our grandkids, and we know that we are not abiding in Christ. There are times when we give, whether to a charity or to a church, and we know that when we did that, we did it, but we were not abiding, remaining, staying in Christ. There are times in ministry as a pastor that we preach and teach and counsel, and we do it, I do it, and to my shame I know I wasn't abiding in Christ. So, so what's going on there? I mean, Jesus said, without me you can do nothing, and yet we, we know that we do do things like that. And here's what he means. He ties this to fruitfulness. He means that we cannot bear spiritual fruit, lasting fruit, eternal fruit, that we cannot be steadfast, we cannot be authentic believers without abiding in him. Nothing can be done in our authenticity, in our steadfastness, in real fruit, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the truth of the matter. I don't know how many people this morning are into fruit, but, but do you know what kind of pear this is? A Bartlett? Do you know what kind of different, they're different? There's Bartlett, there's Bosque, there's Anjo, right? There's other ones. How many folks do you think this is a Bartlett pear? Do you think that's what it looks like? Okay. I don't, I don't, I'm not a pear connoisseur. I don't know. Let me tell you what kind of pear this is. It's fake. It's fake. Uh, it looks real. It looks good. It actually looks like it would be edible this morning. But I got news for you. It might look like a Bartlett pear, but it's plastic. It's plastic. I'm fearful in the Christian life when it comes to authentic Christianity. Many of us are bearing lots of these. And we say, look at, look at my humility. It's right there. Look at my love. Look at my steadfastness. Look at my busyness. Look at my self-control. Doesn't it look good? And we have, we've become very good at showing this fruit, whether we staple it to the tree or tape it to the tree or sort of place it up there. 
and it looks really good until somebody picks it. And worse yet, takes a bite out of it. You know what this pear is good for? Sorry, Kim, that's hers. I hope it didn't damage anything. Uh, it, it's good for nothing. Nothing. When Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing, what he meant is, without him, you can do nothing. Your life as a believer will not be authentic. You will not love. You will not obey. You will not be consistent without Him. We must remain in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Flash for you. The Christian life is impossible to live. It's impossible. You should read what Jesus said we're supposed to do. Love your enemies. Forgive those that hurt you. Get rid of bitterness in your life. Be patient with all men. Really? I don't know about you, but I have real struggles with those things. And the fact is, we cannot live like that. When Jesus said nothing, he didn't mean something, he meant nothing. And the Christian life cannot be authentic, it will not be authentic, until we learn we need Him. We must abide in Him. Quit with the fake fruit, quit with the plastic, quit showing people all that you're doing. If you're not abiding in Him, remaining in Him, staying in Him, then you are producing Nothing. Nothing. But Pastor, look how busy I am. Look what I give. Look at my gifts and my talents. Look what Jesus said. Nothing. You cannot love. You cannot obey. We cannot be what God has called us to be unless we are abiding in Him. The branch must remain in the vine. Israel couldn't find their king without the Lord's help. And you can't live this Christian life without him. We must remain in the vine. And this God of ours will relentlessly pursue us. Look what he says in John 15. He says, I will purge that I can bring forth, or you can bring forth, much more fruit. When you're abiding in Christ, guess what happens? Life is easy? No. Problems happen. Difficulties happen. Things just don't go so swimmingly at times. Why? Because God loves us way too much to leave us the way he found us. He deals with truth, and he wants to conform us to the image of his Son. He brings challenges and difficulties so that we run back to Him because how often we forget, even when He's done great things, within hours or minutes. I can do this. You can't. You can't. When I was a kid growing up in Cleveland, you might not believe this, but people didn't like me. All right? 
I, I, had a, I had a knack for like running my mouth, but it was okay because when I, when I grew up when I was younger, we, my family all lived together, right? We, my my great-grandparents lived next door. My aunt lived above them. My grandmother lived down the road. My uncle was a block away. I had lots of cousins. Cousins are great things, aren't they? First people you really get in trouble with, your cousins. And for me, being a scrawny, skinny kid with a big mouth, having older cousins were great because you could be all cool and bad and, and, and talk smack and not worry about getting beat up. And that was great until I moved. And uh, yeah, you can take the kid out of the city, the city doesn't go out of the kid. And I still talked, and I remember as a teenager, young teenager, there were kids in the neighborhood that we moved into away from my cousins that for some reason they didn't like me either. I don't know why that was, but they didn't like me either. And uh, I was always the smallest kid in my class, always. Um, I have no trouble with that now, of course, but I mean, that was the way it was. And at about 13 years old, my brother and I were walking, and two kids that couldn't stand us um, caught us away from the house. And they, 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 they ran after us, and we ran up on our porch. I had a porch that was probably about this high, maybe higher, ran up the steps, and the kid caught me. And so it was me and my brother, and we sort of had this kid in the headlock, and we're, we're tussling on the porch. And then his buddy, who we called Lurch, <laughs> really, he was like, I don't know, 13 and six foot five and just like lurch. Well, he grabbed my brother from off the porch and just punched him in the face, crumbled my brother. I'm thinking, I'm in trouble now. I'm in real trouble. I'm holding on to this kid for my life and I'm in real trouble. And uh, my dad was home at the time. And I got to tell you, my dad, if you saw him today, you think he's the nicest, sweetest man there is. He was scary when we were kids. Reminds me a little bit like Alvin, just kind of scary, right? And, um, but I mean, yeah, and even today, my, my, my kids know that Grandpa Dressler, he's kind of scary, right? He's like, he might kill somebody. I, I don't know. And my dad has always had that kind of, and he was home. It was about 3 o'clock, and he worked shift working, so I knew he was watching, uh, you know, General Hospital or Days of Our Life. And, uh, and I knew he was in the house, and so what I did was every time this kid whipped me around, I would take my foot and kick the door, the, the aluminum door, as hard as I could. Bam! And I knew my dad would hear it. And I knew my dad would be mad. Would be mad. And I kicked that thing three or four times. My dad didn't know this kid was already beating the tar out of me. And, and my dad came through that door, knocked it off the hooks, and he, he grabbed that kid off of me. This was in the days before lawsuits. And he grabbed that kid and he threw him off of our porch into our front yard and then said some nice things to him about, don't, please don't come back here, that kind of thing going on. Um, listen to me. I was in trouble. I knew I was in trouble. And I knew above all things that at that moment, my speech, my charisma, my smarts, I was done. I needed my father to save my life. And I was weak. And my weakness was exposed. I know some of you sit here and you think, oh, pastor, what about self-esteem? And what about, you know, building people up? Listen to me. When I understand my true weakness, you need Christ. We, we are not independent of him. We need him. And that weakness doesn't, it doesn't handicap me. 
It doesn't allow me to serve Him. It doesn't allow me to know who I am in Him. It, none of that, those things. When I am weak, then am I strong because I am trusting not in my own power, my own strength, my own wisdom. I am now placing my confidence in the true vine who is everything that I need. God looks to those who know that they're weak so he can show himself strong on their behalf. It's not my weakness that will hinder me, but my delusional, independent strength certainly will. And for too many of us, for too long, we've been doing it on our own and we're making a mess of stuff. Keep on going. Keep on knocking your head against the concrete wall. It will not change. And what I'm saying to you this morning is this. You want to live the authentic Christian life? You want to see real, the fruit and the joy and the love and being able to keep his commandments? You need him. You must abide in him. You must stay in him. Christian man this morning... You need Christ. Christian woman, you need Christ. Single parent, you need Christ. Dad, you need Christ. Single adult, you need Christ. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And you have a choice this morning. You can believe yourself and your strength and your smarts and your arrogance and keep on doing what you're doing. But I'm telling you something. It is cheap, plastic fruit. It's, it's not authentic. It, it's, it's a joke. Or you can say, Christ, I got nothing. Sorry, English teachers, I got nothing. I need you. Help me to see myself for who I am and help me daily to go back to the cross of Calvary to find my identity, my worth, and my strength through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.